So I pulled my curtains aside and there was a man in our backyard. Why is he in my backyard this time of night? And why was he looking at me the way he was? It was just like a few streets away from where we lived. This whole family got murdered and this picture comes up on the news. I could not believe it. That is that guy that I made eye contact with. From HV Studio, this is Unnerved. Welcome back to the Unnerved Podcast. It's where normal people share their abnormal stories, and if you enjoy true stories of the strange and terrifying, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Chris Fricky. A home is a refuge from the elements and dangers of the outside world. It's a place to relax and feel at peace. Our sense of safety is reassured by locks, friendly neighborhoods, and possibly even security systems. But not all of these safety measures are fail-proof. When your guard is down and the right opportunity presents itself, a criminal could strike. In today's story, Julie recalls an encounter she had with a stranger in her backyard, a man who was looking for such an opportunity. He would soon be known as the infamous Hammer Killer. This is her story. Well, I grew up in Aurora, Colorado, which has since been made famous with the Aurora Theater shooting and some other tragedies. But um, I grew up in the 80s when it was still a fairly new community. It's a suburb southeast of Denver, Colorado. And um, our community was really idyllic from how I remember it. Lots of new young families, um, lots of new housing developments. And we lived in a newer housing development ourselves. And it was just... A great place to be and um, I lived in the house with my grandmother my single mom and I had an older brother and three older sisters so it was a busy household and there was always comings and goings and people coming to visit and whatnot but um, I remember distinctly we lived in this ranch style house and we didn't have a closed-in backyard yet because it was still part of a new development and my sister and I shared a bedroom and we had two twin beds and my bed was pushed up against the wall with the window facing into the backyard, which I just loved because I could stare out it at night. I could just perch up my elbows and look outside and see what was going on outside. And I just loved it. One night, I just remember I was probably about, I think I... I did the math. I was about nine years old. This would have been late 1983. And we had just had a pretty, pretty nasty snowstorm. I was sleeping and something just woke me out of a sound sleep. And I heard a man swearing and something told me, you know, look out the window and see something's going on in the backyard. So I pulled my curtains aside and I looked and there was a man in our backyard. 
and it, it looked like he had just tripped on my sister and I had left some snow toys out in the backyard. It looked like he had just tripped on one of our sleds. We had one of those little round metal sleds. I just remember being kind of startled thinking, why is this man in my backyard? But then I thought, I immediately thought, well, it's probably one of my brother's friends because my brother was about 16, 17 at the time. And like I said, he had friends coming and going all the time. And I know, I know that he's stuck in and out of the house a lot because he his bedroom was downstairs in the basement and he would come in this bay window or this basement window. So that was my first thought. But I just I looked at him again and I thought he doesn't look like one of my brother's friends. He looks older. And I, I just was really perplexed, I guess, because I was half awake. I just didn't I don't know. Something just made me keep staring at him. And then he saw me and started staring back at me and made eye contact with me. And I remember him slowly walking towards my window. And my window was high enough up that he couldn't like be eye level with me. He still had to look up at me a little bit, but it wasn't one of those really super tall windows. And he made eye contact with me and he kept eye contact with me for quite a while. He gave me this feeling like, uh oh, you caught me doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. Like, don't tell anyone. Like, I, I don't know. It, it was like that kind of look. And then I just had this cold chill run up my spine and I, I realized what I was experiencing was fear. And I was thinking, okay, this this isn't right. This this guy isn't supposed to be here. I don't know him. He's not a member of my family. He's not a friend of the family. Something's not right here. And I remember I jumped off my bed real quick and I ran downstairs to the basement where my mom's bedroom was as well. And I remember seeing my brother down there sleeping. So that perplexed me even more. I was like, oh, well, here's here's my brother. He's sound asleep. It's not, it's probably not one of his friends. So I remember I, I got really startled and I told my mom, you know, I woke her up and I said, mom, there's a man out in the backyard. And she got up slowly, put a robe on, whatever. She wasn't real concerned about it. Probably thinking the same thing, that it was one of my brother's friends. Got upstairs. I remember she went to the sliding glass door in the living room and she turned the light on and she looked outside and she didn't see anything and she just said you know it was probably one of your brother's friends just go back to sleep and i was really upset i just something deep inside of me knew that something was very wrong and so i remember i slept downstairs with my mom the rest of that night but i didn't sleep well at all because i just kept thinking why is he in why is he in my backyard this time of night and why was he looking at me the way he was and i kept thinking about my sister still being upstairs in my bedroom and that gave me the creeps because i thought oh she's upstairs sleeping and she doesn't even know that this guy was you know wandering around in our backyard it just was a really rough night i remember i didn't get any rest and then the next morning i remember listening to my mom and my brother arguing a little bit because i think my mom you know, got up, saw in the daylight that there were man, adult sized footprints in the snow outside my window, just like <laughs> I said there was. 
And I think she gave my brother the riot act because she thought it was one of his friends. And I remember, I do remember him saying, no, mom, you know, I didn't expect anybody. Nobody came by. I don't know what you're talking about. And she was like, well, they really frightened your little sister and I don't appreciate it. And that was that. And then um, the way that I remember it, about two weeks went by. We didn't really talk about it again. And something happened in our neighborhood. It just changed the way everybody was behaving. Everybody was acting really strange, um, coming from a child's point of view, teachers. Everything was just real, um, it was it was like a dark cloud went over our neighborhood. And finally one day at school, I remember I asked one of my classmates, I was like, what's going on? What is everybody whispering about? What's, and she was like, oh, you didn't hear? And you know, I'm only nine years old. We didn't have internet. We didn't, I didn't watch the news. And, and I said, no, hear what? And she said, oh, this, this whole family got murdered. And it was just like a few streets away from where we lived. And I said, I was like, what do you mean got murdered? And she said, yeah, a man broke into this house with a hammer and killed this whole family except for the little girl. And I remember it just, I mean, it was terrifying to hear about because I, I didn't watch horror movies. I wasn't, it, it was just, I, I, that is the exact moment I remember losing my innocence as a child just to find out that something that dark happened and happened near us in our little idyllic community. Police say that sometime between nine last night and early this morning, the Bennett family was brutally attacked with a blunt instrument and a knife, probably this one found in the snow covering their front lawn. Dead are 27-year-old Bruce Bennett, his 26-year-old wife Deborah, and one of their two daughters, 8-year-old Melissa. She and her mother were found in their bedrooms. A coroner says at least one of them, Melissa, appears to have been sexually assaulted. Bruce Bennett was found lying near a stairwell. Police say all of them were wearing their sleeping clothes. One of the bystanders here this morning was a friend since eighth grade and Bruce Bennett's best man at his wedding. A friend who said no one hated the Bennetts this much. No, he doesn't have any enemies. There's no way. Bruce is this the best kind of guy you could know. There's no way he could have any kind of enemies like this. Police say they haven't uncovered any signs of a forced entry into this home, but they aren't ruling out the possibility that someone or some people forced their way in. You wouldn't think it would happen here, one man said. Paula Woodward has more about the Bennett family. It's the type of neighborhood you think of when you're talking about life in the suburbs. Nice, quiet, friendly, young couples, young kids, safe. It's scary. Tell if me it, about that. Well, it, I don't know. If it's family-related, I feel a little bit more safe, but it's, if it was done by an outsider, then it would really scare me. They were real nice, everyday people. Deborah was happy-go-lucky, Bruce the quiet type. They worked in downtown Denver, both of them at the same place. Four days ago, they were in my house. They bought this house only about uh, three, four weeks ago. They're good people, huh? I don't understand what happened. They had just moved into their new house over Thanksgiving. They had lived about six miles away, still in Aurora before then. Their oldest daughter, Melissa, died with them. She was a second grader at Fulton Elementary. I know that she was an excellent student, that uh, she cared about the other kids in her classroom, the teacher cared about her very much, and uh, I know she was planning a birthday party for uh, tomorrow uh, with her mother and with a teacher. Shock, sadness, 
outrage and fear. A school principal tries to figure out how to tell Melissa's classmates. A mother how to tell her daughter her friend is dead. Tracy was supposed to go to a birthday party there Friday night, but, you know, I guess she can't now. And so I remember I came home and I think I asked my grandma about it and my grandma was kind of like, oh, you don't need to worry about that. Yes, something bad happened, but it's okay and you're safe and, and just, they did, you know, they didn't really want to talk about it with me. And I think I tried to mention something to my mom and, and she kind of did the same thing. So I just kind of tried to get bits and pieces about it as I could from kids at school, which was a really bad idea <laughs> because the kids at school, you know, really were telling me details and things that had come out that were really frightening. And basically what had come out was that they think that this family had left their garage door open and then the interior garage door that goes into the house they had left open after having company over for a party or something. And so they think that this individual just targeted them at random because they had left their door unlocked. And he did, he, um, it's a very vicious murder. He, he murdered the father, the mother, and the seven-year-old daughter. And he used a hammer and, and a kitchen knife. And the little three-year-old girl, I don't know how she survived, but he, he attacked her viciously as well, but she survived. And the next morning, um, the, when the paramedics got to the house, um, cause a family member had done like a welfare check type thing, they were able to get her to the hospital. And so that was dominating the news during that time too, was that this little girl was on the verge of losing her life and the community really banded together with um people were raising money to try to help with her medical expenses and things so it was it dominated our news and on top of just it being frightening nobody knew who this guy was the cops didn't seem to have an idea at all who he was or why he did this teachers started talking about it more at school because they were really starting to get frightened since nobody had been apprehended and you know just telling us kids to be really vigilant and watching our surroundings and and so you know while all this is happening i'm thinking there was that guy in my yard <laughs> um is this that man that hurt this family was he coming to our house to hurt our family and I just kept thinking about it. And I didn't really bring it up to my mom because it seemed to really agitate her. I don't know if she was scared, probably. And my grandma didn't really want to talk about it much either. They just kept reassuring me it was one of my brother's friends and left it at that, you know. But it, it, it really bothered me. And then I remember I came home from school one day and my brother and his friend were out in the front yard and they were playing with a baseball bat and they said they were going to go find the hammer killer and get, get the hammer killer and I remember I was scared because I was like no he's a lot bigger than you are like you know I'm thinking I saw him I saw him in our yard he was tall and I was scared I was like no I didn't want them to go try to track this guy down it was just it was a really scary time to be a kid in that neighborhood well in, in Denver period the whole Denver area was was really scared people were going out and getting double deadbolt locks to put on their garage doors and i just i i that always was in the back of my mind that that man and it bothered me one day i do remember 
the cops still had the house totally taped off and everything, but they were almost done with their investigation. And some kids at school had dared me to come with them. They said they were going to go look by the house and look in the windows. And I'm like, okay, I didn't really want to go, but I'm like, okay, I'll go. And I just remember they had put newspaper up over all the windows so people couldn't peek in. But one of the kids hoisted the other kid up to the living room window because the very top part of the window wasn't covered with newspaper. (laughs) So they could peek in and they got really spooked and they were they were crying and they were like, I want to go home. And I said, what did you see? And they described seeing a really bloody handprint on the wall. And I thought they'd made that up. I'm like, there's no way that was there. The cops would have cleaned up the house or whatever. But, you know, I've since realized when they do do crime scene investigation, they leave things for quite a while. So, um, but I remember thinking, oh, it, 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 he couldn't have seen that. But he, I just remember those kids were spooked. They were scared. And they were like, they didn't want to ever go back near that house again. And then, you know, just that house always became to me, um, uh, as time went by, a new family moved in there and, you know, things got back to normal. And I didn't really think about it a whole lot, but occasionally I would drive past it and think, oh, they never did solve, you know, they never found the hammer killer. I wonder what happened to that guy. A little more time went by and unfortunately the case went cold. They never apprehended anybody. And, you know, things just move on as they do. And I kind of forgot about it. Fast forward to 2018, I, I'm kind of a true crime fan. I, I, like to, I like to keep up with lots of local cases and things. And I had thought about this case a lot over the years. And I saw something on the news that they had matched through DNA. DNA from the crime of the family, they were called the Bennetts. They had matched DNA from that crime scene to a crime that was in Lakewood, Colorado, which is further further northwest of where we lived, to a woman that had been murdered in Lakewood. And I was like, oh, wow, that's different. So we really did have a serial predator. This wasn't just a one-time thing. And then more and more information started coming out, and they said that there had been other hammer attacks throughout Aurora which I don't remember hearing about as a kid. I just remember hearing about the one family. I don't remember hearing that multiple attacks had happened, which is even more frightening. Um, This poor flight attendant, she was just coming home from work one evening and he attacked her in her garage and almost killed her, left her for dead. And then he attacked a couple. And this is all in Aurora, in the area that I lived in. And luckily they they fought him off. He, He just, he was really brazen. I mean, it just was like he just picked houses or residences at random if they had open doors or whatnot. And he didn't care if there were women inside, men inside, children. It's, it's like he was just there to attack, which was really frightening. And so as I, as I kept following this on the news as an adult, I'm like, this is just crazy. They've got to find out who this guy was, even if he's dead now, you know? I mean, this is just, this is scary. And so then I kept following it on the news, and then one day they came on and they said that they had found a DNA match, that they had a suspect, and I couldn't believe it. 
We're getting our first look today at the man Aurora police consider a potential suspect in the 1984 slings of a couple and their young daughter. Our nine wants to know team has confirmed that this man, Alex Christopher Ewing, is in the sights of Aurora investigators in a series of attacks that rattled the metro area. Nine wants to know Kevin Vaughn is here and Kevin, these Colorado attacks, they may not be the only ones that the suspect is linked to. That's right, Anusha. And if this man is indeed accused of the Bennett family murders, it may answer a question that's confounded detectives for decades. Four attacks in 12 days. The murder of Patricia Smith in Lakewood. The slayings of Bruce, Deborah, and Melissa Bennett in Aurora. And a question. Why did the brutality in the Denver area just stop? Now Nine wants to know is confirmed information that may explain exactly why. This Nevada inmate, 57-year-old Alex Christopher Ewing, is the man police believe may be responsible for all that bloodshed. And he appears to have left Colorado just after the Bennetts were killed. Court records show Ewing was arrested for an attack 11 days later in Kingman, Arizona, accused of beating a resident over the head with a rock. Months later, while en route from jail to court for a hearing, he escaped. On the lam for two days, he broke into a home in Henderson, Nevada and savagely beat a couple with an axe handle. He was arrested, charged, and convicted in that case, and he's been in Nevada's prison system ever since under the name Christopher Ewing. Now the question is whether he'll be charged in those Colorado attacks and extradited back here. Anusha, there's a press conference scheduled Friday where we expect to learn a lot more about this investigation. Kevin, is there the potential to also learn about the role DNA has played in this too? Absolutely. We don't yet know how the connection was made to Alex Christopher Ewing. We do know Aurora Police for the last year has been trying some unique techniques using DNA to try to identify a suspect in this case. And this picture comes up on the news and I just about, I could not believe it. I know I was only nine years old and people say, you know, oh, you can't remember things that clearly from your childhood. I remembered what that guy looked like because he had these very light colored, bluish gray eyes. And I just remember him looking at me through the window and our backyard light was on. So, I mean, I saw him under good lighting. I saw that picture on the news of him as his inmate picture. And I'm like, I know that's him. I know that's that guy. That is that guy that I made eye contact with. And it just, oh, it terrified me. And then they started showing pictures, you know, as more information was coming out and they were um, asking people in Colorado, you know, if they had any information about this guy from the 80s when he lived here, they started showing pictures of him as a young man. And so then that really solidified it to me. I'm like, that's him because that was him, the, the young man. I was, oh, I just, I'm so glad that they've, that they've named him and that he's been in prison this whole time. I don't know what he was doing in our backyard. It was about three months before he attacked that family. So my theory is he was prowling, you know, he was scoping out houses and probably practicing what he was going to do. So I don't know if he had any plans for our house, but it, it's just, it's, it's just weird. Yeah, seriously. And just the unknown of, you know, was he trying to get into your house? Did you catch him just at the right time to keep him from coming in? I think about that a lot, and I'm pretty sure we were pretty diligent about locking doors and windows and stuff. And I like to think that if he did try to get in our house, there's enough of us there that we would have chased him off between my grandma and my brother. And But, you know, I mean, you know, I'm sure that other family thought 
they were safe and he ended up murdering three of them it didn't help too that all the kids called him the hammer killer so it was like that became my real life boogeyman yeah for sure and you had an image in your head of what he looked like so that doesn't help either i did and i didn't feel like i could talk to anybody about it and i still really don't <laughs> like i mentioned it you know to some friends adults and they're like yeah yeah it was probably somebody else and i'm like why <laughs> why couldn't it have been the same guy yeah i don't I don't discount memories from childhood. I think kids can remember things in great detail, and I remember his face. Yeah, yeah. And experiences in our lives that are more traumatic, we tend to remember a lot better. I don't know all the science behind that, but I know that's a fact. I remember moments in my childhood when I was scared, and I remember that moment where most of my childhood I don't remember so that makes sense I think that was the first time I ever really felt fear because like I said I I lived a I had a beautiful childhood I lived in that community was just idyllic it was just so that was the first time I'd felt fear and then you know finding out that there are evil people in the world that do things to children especially and to families that was the end of my childhood in a sense it's like whoa so yeah, I think I think like you said that trauma, that's why I've remembered it so detailed as well. Right. Now, how far away was this family away from you? Just a couple blocks within walking distance because I remember their subdivision was fairly new too. It was a little bit different than ours, but same thing, they didn't have a fenced-in backyard yet. Some of the houses around them were still under construction. I I feel in a lot of ways I don't know, maybe he was targeting our house. Maybe I'm very lucky that I looked out the window and I made eye contact with him and he decided to move on elsewhere, or I don't know. I mean, he could have, I imagine if he was about to come into your house and he made eye contact with you, you know, perhaps he got spooked that you would go and tell an adult like you did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and and he would have seen me do that. He would have seen me jump off my bed and because I wasn't looking out the window at him anymore. The terror that two little girls felt. Finding the words. 37 years later, those ripples are still visible. Was hard. He has been and always will be the monster. Measuring 37 years of pain, almost impossible. Emotional scars run much deeper than the visible scars. But they came to court Tuesday afternoon and tried. Tried to tell the judge what this man did to them when he killed Bruce and Deborah Bennett and their seven-year-old daughter, Melissa. I'd like to direct my statement to the court and not to the murderer. Some people may call him an animal, but I won't, because I think animals have a purpose in this world. Connie Bennett, who found her son and his family murdered, Vanessa Bennett, still reeling from the physical and emotional injuries. I didn't just lose my parents and sister. I lost trust in people. I lost my dignity and my pride. I lost the person who I was supposed to be. And then it was over. The court sentences you to life in the Department of Corrections. A killer headed to prison. A grandmother and granddaughter a step closer to peace. After years of searching, 
Advances in DNA technology finally put a name to the man who murdered four people and attempted to murder seven others. Alex Ewing's reign of terror is finally over, and he will spend the rest of his life in prison. Thankfully, Julie and her family were unharmed that night, the night she came face to face with the Hammer Killer. Thanks again for listening to Unnerved. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And if you guys want to see photos related to each episode, a great place to see those is to follow us on our Instagram at Unnerved Podcast. Have a good rest of your day, and we'll see you next time.